So now we uh, jump back into the book of Ephesians. So you've got a two-week break, and now we will uh, have the, uh, the conclusion, the, the next four weeks, and we will finish up the book of Ephesians. It's been quite a journey, hasn't it? And the title of the series, of course, is Reaching Higher, because I really believe that is what Paul is trying to get his readers to do in this. The exalted language of he has blessed us in the spiritual realms with every spiritual blessing, everything, that God has held nothing back from his people. That we are seated, raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You know, how many of us sometimes look around at our world and our life and go, I don't feel like I'm seated in the heavenlies. And yet, that is the ultimate reality. When all is stripped away in the end, we're going to see what God has done and, and what he did within us. And so what Paul is doing is we started chapter 5. He told us to make the most of the opportunity, make the most of the time because the days are evil. To live as wise and not as unwise. And so really for the rest of the book, he's unpacking what that means. What does it mean to live as wise and not as unwise. What does it mean to make the most of the time? And I don't think it's coincidence or accident that the first place he turns in defining what that is, is marriage. Now, this is a very common passage. We've, you know, many of you have probably gone through seminars on it and marriage studies and and read it and heard it preached on, and you know, I probably countless times in your life if you've been in church for a long time. And yet, every time I come to this passage and really pay attention to what Paul is saying, I learn something new. Because this is a powerful, powerful section of truth that hits right where we live. This isn't some promise for way off in the future. This isn't something that we can't see and experience. You know, like I said, we sometimes don't feel like we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. This deals with our marriage that we are in right now. Now, if you're not married, there's still a lot we can learn about this because it, it deals with so many heart issues that you don't have to be married to understand what he's talking about and still work on that same kind of attitude within yourself. So don't check out on me. If you're not married, don't check out. And it's like, oh, it's the marriage sermon. I'm, you know, I'm free. If you go to sleep, I may throw something at you. So <laughs> don't do that. So start with me because we're going to look at what I'm calling a higher family. If he wants us to reach higher and we're reaching for something that doesn't happen by itself, doesn't happen naturally, but happens supernaturally through Christ, then what he is telling us here is that there is a higher family order. There is a higher way to do marriage than what the world will present and what we will simply do naturally. And we're going to look in Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Now, some of you may look and say, why are you starting in verse 21? My Bible, it starts in verse 22. How many of you is it that way? That this section starts in 522. You know why I'm starting in verse 21? Because that's where it actually starts in the Greek. 
it combines the previous section with this section. And if we look at the first word here, go ahead and go to the next slide. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In the original Greek, the word for submit in verse 22, where it says, wives, submit to your own husbands, is not there. It is supplied by the previous verse. So a literal reading of the Greek says, Greek says, submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ, wives, to your husbands as to the Lord. So that's why I'm including this previous verse, because it is the heading that tells the entire story of what Paul is talking about. And what does it tell us? It tells us something very different than this, this section has been taught over and over and over again. And we'll get into that for a minute, in a minute. So starting in verse 21, it says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, there is a lot there. That is a lot to unpack. So we're going to hit the gas, and we're going to see how we can do today. All right? But I have a quick question before we jump in deep. How do you take your marriage? Curse or no curse? If you get to choose, how are you going to take it? Any curse people out here? It's like, yeah, no. Did you know that's the marriage you inherited? Cursed. Cursed. And if we don't know the curse, we don't know what Paul's telling us to do in this section. So, what I'm going to tell you now is that you've got to know your curse. And when I say your curse, I mean your curse. We've got to own it. We've got to know exactly what it is that God is undoing in Christ here. Okay, what is he telling us to do? Because there was a curse that God placed on both man and woman, husband and wife, in Genesis 3 that is real. And you know what? It's bad. Okay, it's bad. And this is the natural state of affairs. Okay? This is the natural state of affairs. Meaning, if we do nothing, this is what's going to happen. If we take the easy road, this is what's going to happen. If we just do what feels right, this is what's going to happen. Because God has laid down this curse. You see, in Genesis, what happened in Genesis chapter 3? Somebody, let's, let's kind of recap on that, okay? 
God, God created the garden, and he told Adam, what did he tell Adam? You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat it, you will die. Then what happens? Then he had him name all of the animals. Then he said, it's not good that man's alone. I'll make a helper suitable to him. And he caused a deep sleep to fall on him. He took a rib. He fashioned the woman, and he brought the woman to him, and he says, wow, this is woman because she came from man, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then it says, and they were naked and felt no shame. That is an important part of the story. Because then what happens in Genesis 3? It says, now the serpent was craftier than all the animals, all the creatures of earth. And the serpent, does he come to Adam and take him on head on? No. Who does he take on? Eve. He comes on and he takes on the woman. Which, by the way, her name's not Eve yet. So I guess he just said woman. I don't know. But he comes to the woman. And he says, did God really say you are not to eat of any tree in the garden? And she says, oh, no, no, we're free to eat from all the trees in the garden, except for that one. We're not to eat from that one or even touch it. Now, where did she learn that? Did God tell her? No, who did God tell? He told Adam. So who did she learn this from? Adam. She learned it from Adam. Okay? Now, this is important. Because she eats from the tree anyway. And what happened in that moment is the woman rebelled not only against the word of God, but she rebelled against her husband's word as well. The husband who had been created to be the head. Now, we're going to get into headship in a minute and what this means. But this was, in fact, a rejection of, of his word that while flawed, because God never said don't touch it, it was still accurate. Let's say that, okay? It wasn't perfect, but it was accurate. Stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because bad things are going to happen. She knew she wasn't supposed to eat from it. She knew that she would die if she did, and she chose to do it anyway. Okay, so the woman rebelled against the word of God and her husband. And so in a sense, she did not submit to either in that moment. Now, it says in that same passage... She gave some also to her husband, and he ate. Which means, I get the picture of he's standing right there watching this whole thing happen. Just watching it. Now, what is he called to do in this situation? Well, it was in the, you know, the founding charter of man. You shall have exercised dominion over the earth and all the creatures. What is dominion? That means he is the king of the world in that moment. And I'm not exaggerating. He's in charge. He is the king. And what did he do? He abdicated his rule in that moment. He stood there and just let this thing happen. Where if he had done his job, he would have stepped in between the woman and the serpent and said, no, God's command is, for, is sure and you are fired and maybe break the neck of the serpent and say, you know what? You're done. Because I'm in charge here. He didn't do that. So what did the man do? 
the man, the husband, rebelled against his responsibility to his wife and over creation. Because his call was to tend and to keep the garden. Now, what is tending and keeping? Kind of sounds like nourishing and cherishing. Means he's to give his efforts for the benefit of creation, of the garden, and of his wife. Did he do that? No, he did not do that. He stood by and watched part of the creation lead another part of the creation to self-destruct. And then joined in that destruction. And then tried to blame her later. And tried to blame God. So there's plenty of fail to go around on all of this. But the point is, is that as a result of the fall in the Garden of Eden, God cursed both men and women, and they, those curses are specific to their failures. Okay, we've got to understand this to understand Ephesians properly. Okay, so don't get ahead of me. What did he say? It says, to the woman, in Genesis 3.16, it says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. This is a curse. Okay, this is a curse. The increased pain in childbearing, ladies, you get to bear that. We don't have to as men. That's yours. And you know what? It's a curse. That's not how God intended it in the beginning, but it's there. But what else is there? It says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. This is a desire for control, okay? In Genesis 4, the same word is used in the Hebrew when it says, sin desires to have you, but you must master it. Sin desired control over Cain. This is a desire for control over a husband. And what does it say, though? It says, but you're going to lose. He's going to rule over you. So what is he saying? He's saying your marriage is going to be cursed with a natural power struggle. Now, anybody that's been married for longer than 10 minutes, if you're newlywed, do not even participate in this because you don't know. Is there a power struggle that shows up in marriage? If you've been married for more than 10 years, is there a power struggle? Maria, is there a power struggle? <laughs> there just is Uh, okay and and it it doesn't always come from a malicious place okay we like to think of this curse as showing up as well I'm just uh, and people being mean and and just not doing what they're supposed that's not what he's talking about he's just saying there's going to be a power struggle there will not be harmony that God intended for there to be because both husband and wife are going to have difficulty fulfilling the role that God gave them because of this curse. Eve was created to be a complementary helpmate to Adam. Okay? Complementary. What does that mean? That means she does stuff he doesn't do. He does stuff she doesn't do. And together they were to work to tend and keep the garden, to to oversee earth, to to develop and, and fulfill and multiply and subdue the earth. They were to work together in this, and they would have different roles, but they would be equal in that. And that's what he meant when he said, I'm going to call her woman because she came from man. He's saying, she's my equal, but she's different. Different in a good way. Complimentary. 
Eve was created to be a complimentary helpmate to Adam, but instead, what did she do? She chose to go her own way and rebelled against God's will for her. So now she is cursed with the desire for control, and there will be a power struggle that is not reflective of God's created purposes in marriage. This is the curse that is still in place and will affect every marriage on earth. Now, I'm not saying, women, it's your fault. I'm not, we're good. Adam's got his coming here in a minute. But we have to be honest about what is said here in Scripture. And he says to the woman, you will have a desire that's going to be contrary to your husband, but he's going to win that battle ultimately, and it's just, it's going to be a mess. Now, did he free them and say, now your creation mandate's gone and you don't need to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it? No, they still had the same responsibilities. They still had the same calling. It's just hard now. It just doesn't work like it's supposed to. And so, there's this power struggle. Now, what happened to Adam? It says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. That is not an insult to you ladies. I've heard women get upset with that. That is not an insult to your ladies. Like I said, that is him abdicating his role. He knew better. God had told him directly, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he chose to listen to a lying serpent and a deceived wife. And he knew both were wrong. And God says, I put you in charge, and you blew it. And so, what does he say? He says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Adam was called to tend and keep the garden. What does that mean? He was, he was to work for the good of creation, and specifically for the good of this garden and the good of his wife. He was called to headship. And what is headship? His headship was to be one of active stewardship. Active stewardship. I want you to think of that. But he rebelled against his calling and refused to intercede while the serpent deceived his wife. Thus, his curse is that the world he is to care for, those things that he is to create in this world, his, his work, his family, his marriage, the things that he, God put within him to create and to build, they're just not going to quite create what they're supposed to. It'll still work. But it says what? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be painful. It's going to be hard. It, it's going to be thorns and thistles. They're going to invest their time in things that they're not going to get the return on it that, that they thought. Now, are they free from doing it? No. No. Could you imagine that as Adam's, the, the reality of this is sitting in and he's like, so I got to still care for the world, but it's broken now? God, that's heavy. That's harsh. And then he drives them out of the garden and says, yeah, and you don't get to stay here either. Y'all got to start over out here. That is the curse. And so 
His curse is that the world he is to care for and steward is going to produce hardship, pain, and fear. Neither the man nor the woman is free from their original calling. Nobody in here is free from what God called us to be and to do as people created in his image. The man is still to tend and keep, and the woman is still called to be a helpmate suitable to him. But now a curse lies over these functions. Thus marriage comes with a price. A curse that will naturally show itself. Now all that to get into what Paul is saying here. You know why? Because we've got some good news right here. And I mean good news, okay? In Christ, the curse is undone. Now not the whole curse. Sorry women. You still got pain and childbearing. Christ is not taking that away. Sorry, man, the world's still broken. It's going to hurt. Man up, because that's our cross to bear. Okay? It's still going to be hard. It's still not going to produce what it's supposed to. But in Christ, something very special can happen in your marriage. That curse that is over the marriage can be undone in Christ. Now, it's in Christ alone. It's only through him. Nobody in here is smart enough, strong enough, good enough, anything to do this without Christ. Okay? Which is why we go back to Ephesians 5, 15 and 17. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you want to spend your entire life in a cursed marriage or a blessed marriage? The choice is yours. But the days are short. What's he saying? He says, you've you got to do this on purpose. You've got to learn the things of God, and you've got to walk in it, and you have to do it, and you've got to walk as wise as not as unwise. And, and you know what? For none of us in here does wisdom come naturally. We have to choose it. We have to ask God for it. We have to seek it. We've got to cry out for it. As Proverbs 8 says, cry out in the streets for it. We've got to long for God's wisdom. And, and so... He includes at the end of this section where he's talking about what it is to live as wise and not as unwise. In Ephesians 5.21, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the heading for this whole thing of what it means to live as wise as unwise is being willing to adopt an attitude of submission. And neither of these is specific to male or female. Let me say that again. Because I guarantee there are those of you in here that have heard, it's a woman's job to submit. Just be quiet and listen. That's not what he says. It says submitting to one another. Now, as usual, the, the, the form of submission takes different shapes because we are complementary to each other. A woman's form of submission is not the same as a man's form of submission. But trust me, it's still an act of submission. And it goes straight to the heart of the curse. It goes straight to the heart of, of everything that went wrong. He's setting it right. And it won't happen by accident. It won't just happen. It will never just happen in marriage. This is an act of faithfulness. And so... We have to come at this from an idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our relationship with Christ must be first. Okay? If that is not established, 
If you do not have an active relationship with God through Christ and you are living a life in submission to him, male or female, none of this stuff's going to work. Okay, I, I can guarantee you it's not going to work. It, it may have a form of godliness, but it will deny the power therein. Okay, it, it, it may look like something good, but it won't have that heart fulfillment, that special thing that God wants in marriage that he intends. And so if we want to live in wisdom and make the most of the time in evil days, knowing the will of the Lord, we have to start with our willingness to submit to God and then to each other. Doesn't this sound familiar? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. You see, this is in perfect agreement with the teachings of Christ. And so it's mutual submission. Paul is telling us that both husband and wife will have complementary forms of submission, meaning they'll feed each other. Her submission and his submission will lead to something special. So, for the wife... What does submission look like? You ready? Here we go. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And verse 33 is important. This gets left out. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is a matter of respect. This is a matter of being the helpmate that God created you to be. What was the curse? Eve was going to try to be in control. What is undoing the curse? Learn an attitude of submission. Learn to be the helpmate. Learn to respect and support. And, and honestly, in two words... This is about godly support and godly respect. Okay, godly support and godly respect. Think back to when God said he made Eve. God told Adam, I will make a helper suitable to him. Suitable means complementary in function, function, equal in worth, equal in value, equal in standing before God. Ladies, you are not second-class citizens. You are not. But you do have a role as a helper that God embedded deep inside of you that is your God-created identity. And if you, you reject that, for the world's idea of independence, you get what Eve got in the garden. You're going to reject the word of God. You're going to reject the voice of God. And you'll end up rejecting your husband in ways that are going to be very painful and are going to lead to a, a, a bad marriage. So, what he has called women to be is a helper, not a controller, not an adversary, a complimentary helper that offers necessary and invaluable assistance in doing what God wants both of you to do. And if we rebel against that, it breaks down. It just does. And the world will tell us that this is, is anti-women. No, it's not. Okay, and I'm going to tell you this right now. This is not anti-women. This is pro-women. This is you being everything feminine and, and, and womanly that God wants you to be when he created you. And you don't have to be married to do this. 
It's just understanding this is who God created you to be. And so, wives, I want you to ask yourself this. If Jesus was right here and asked you about your respect and support for your husband as a helper in his life, how would you be able to answer? Now, I don't say that to throw stones. And trust me, men, ours is coming. He wrote a lot more to us men than he did the ladies. I ask this, though, because Paul, the fact that Paul has to tell us to do this means it's not going to come naturally. Okay, if Paul has to tell us, if he has to tell wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, respect him, then what does that mean the natural state of affairs is going to be? A lack of submission and a lack of respect and a lack of support. It, it's, gonna, it's just going to devolve into that every time. And so, ladies, this is your responsibility before God. Because the curse is working against us, and it takes voluntary obedience to God to put this into practice and make it a part of your life. It also requires accepting that God created men and women to be different. And within marriage, there are roles that God has ordained. Our world right now is so caught up in trying to tell us that there's no difference in men or women. It should be an alarm bell going off that... Satan is working really hard to try to keep us from understanding God-given differences that are blessings. He's so busy trying to tell women that they can be men and men that they need to be women that, that we're losing sight of the original creation mandate. And that's where we find our identity. That's where we find our purpose. That is where we find our relationship with God to be, to be secure and, and that we know who we are because we accept what God has said. It requires accepting that. And Paul says that the husband is the head of the wife. Now, what does that mean? Headship. Now, let me get this. Headship is not about control. Okay? It is not. And if you've been taught that this whole passage, just the man is supposed to lead, you know what I want you to look at? Where does it say lead anywhere in this passage? Is the word lead anywhere in there? Is there anywhere that says the man is in charge? No. It does say he is the head. And biblical headship is not just being the person that dominates and is domineering is in control. That is not what that means. Okay? Headship is not about control, but it is about responsibility and stewardship. Adam practiced headship when he named Eve. Do you realize that? He named everything on earth, and then God brought Eve to him, brought the woman to him, and he said, bone of my bone, at last, finally, I mean, he's excited, he's happy, and he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she is taken from man. That was an act of headship. Eve didn't name herself. Adam had that authority to do that. And yet in naming her, what did he do? He elevated her. He, he genuinely elevated her. He said, here's my equal. I may, be in, I may have the headship here, but I have found my equal right here. She's complimentary to me. We're not the same, but she is my equal. See, headship is not about one party being lowered and the other being elevated. It's simply about responsibility and stewardship. And so submission to headship does not imply inferiority. 
Rather, it is the acceptance of the order which God has created and affirmed as good in Genesis. Accepting God's design is essential for both wives and husbands. Ironically, what is missed in this is when Adam called her Eve and named, called her woman and named her Eve, he was literally elevating her status, celebrating who she is and what she would do. The name Eve means mother, the mother of all living. He's celebrating like you're going to bring forth life. This is what you do. I can't do that. You do. And it's a celebration of who she is. Names mean a lot in the Bible. And he's celebrating who she is and what her role in life will be. His headship was used to lift her up, which is exactly where Paul takes this discussion next. Okay? You ready, men? Ladies? Are we good? I don't want any hate mail afterwards, okay? <laughs> men, you ready? Put your helmet on. What does submission look like for a husband? Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I don't know of a higher calling in scripture. One that requires more of a person, one that requires more faithfulness to God. You just got told, we just got told to love our wives in the same manner that Christ loves his church. That doesn't say lead. That says love. Okay? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of word with the water. Now, in, in typical Paul fashion, he goes off into the gospel. Okay? Because we need to understand that. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. What he is saying, husbands, your job is to consider your wife's well-being to be on the exact same level as your own. That's your job. Her physical, her emotional, her spiritual, her well-being is to be as important to you as your own well-being. How you take care of yourself will also reflect how you take care of your wife. Let that sink in. He who loves his wife loves himself. You know what he's also saying? He's saying, that's definitely going to come back to you. It's to your benefit to do this. You see, husbands, your headship, you are called to be the head of your home. I am not denying that, Okay? But we've misunderstood what biblical headship is. If it's about responsibility and stewardship, what did Jesus say? He says the Gentile rulers lord it over their subjects. He says it shouldn't be so with you. You want to be great? Be a servant. How did Christ do? He came and he washed feet. He served his people. 
Was he due respect? Yes, he was due respect. He was the son of God. He, he, he was, he was the, the righteous one, and, and people worshipped him and, and loved him, but at the same time, he served. That is to be our posture, men. Is that we are to give ourselves for the good of our wives and our families. Now, do you understand, ladies, why he says you need to submit, you need to respect? Don't make that job hard on him because it's already going to be hard. Don't make it harder than it has to be. And so, just like with the wives, Paul is instructing us in something that is not going to come naturally. Let me just overemphasize, this isn't going to happen on its own. We have to learn how to do this, and it involves first submitting to the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. And this passage is about more than being in charge. This is, as Paul says, loving her, giving yourself up for her, nourishing and cherishing her. Men, we were created to tend and to keep. That means to make things flourish, to make them thrive, to make it grow, to make it, make it better. That's our responsibility. Look at your family and say, am I working to make it better? Am I investing myself in a way that makes it better? Now, it's not going to be perfect. Okay, and grace needs to abound all over here. And, and I mean that. If either of these is ever used as a battering ram, as a weapon against the other, you're doing it wrong. Okay, I mean, you, you just, you've misunderstood exactly what it's saying. As Paul is undoing this curse here, it's like he's just prying back and saying, God will give you something special here, but man, this curse is heavy, and, and you've got to really be in and walking with Christ and obeying him and denying yourself, and it will happen. And so, husbands, you are to look to Jesus and how he loves, serves, leads, and cares for his body, the church, as how you are to practice your headship in your marriage. Model your headship after Jesus. Guess what? That means you've got to be in the word. You've got to learn to lead like Jesus led. You've got to be committed to the same things Jesus was committed to. You've got to learn to love as Jesus loved. You've got to care like Jesus cared. And your headship in your home needs to look like, act like, feel like, and get results like Jesus. Now, I promise there's, you know, people that are like, that's impossible. For you, it is. But if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and that means you can do things through obedience. God will work through you that you couldn't do alone. And so... If we are to summarize what Paul is saying, a husband's submission to his wife looks like, it is found in giving love and security to his wife. The church is loved and is secure in Jesus Christ. Wives are to be loved and secure in their relationship with their husbands. And lest we forget, love is defined in 1 Corinthians 13. Husbands, pay attention. Here's your job description. Now, I mean that. Here's your job description right here. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Now, wait a minute. You're supposed to lead but not insist in your own way? Hmm, maybe we're leading for something bigger. Maybe it's not about us, but it's about God's kingdom. 
Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And here it is. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. There's your job description, men. It should be the goal of every Christian husband to exemplify this behavior in your marriage. Headship that is for the benefit of your wife and family. Leadership that does not insist on its own way. Do you value your wife's input as your God-given helper? Loving and giving yourself for your wife as God commands only happens when we lay down our own ego and allow Christ to rule in our hearts. And husbands, remember, it is to your advantage to do these things. Why? He said in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, within this whole marriage framework, I don't see anywhere in there that husbands get to tell the wife she has to submit. And I don't see anywhere in there that the wife gets to say, well, I'll submit when he starts loving. We have commands from God. And I heard a, a, another teacher, I wish I can't give credit right now because I don't remember exactly who it was, but somebody said, you know, who should go first? Maybe you're in a marriage that's kind of stuck. Who should go first? Let me put it to you this way. The one of you that thinks you're more spiritually mature. Yeah, some of y'all got that. The one of you that thinks you're more spiritually mature should be the one to go first. Because what we have to do is see the marriage as God sees it. The world tells us that marriage is about happiness, self-fulfillment. And that's why they're like, well, I'm just not in love anymore. Then they divorce and walk away. And that's such a shame. That is not what God intended. And that's not what God is for. If you got married to make you happy, you got married for the wrong reason. And you made vows that were a lie. I, I, I promise to love, honor, and cherish so long as you make me happy. I mean, I don't think anybody says that. See, marriage is such a greater thing. And what God creates in Ephesians is born from a posture of faith, humility, obedience, generosity, and love. And we have to remember those traits together. Are we going to slip and fall along the way? Yeah. Yeah. You know why? Because marriage is messy. Marriage is two imperfect people with their own baggage, with their own hang-ups, with their own faults, with their own family history, with their own twisted ideas that they want. And, and you slam them both together and say, now make it work. And you know what Paul says? He goes, it will work. And here's how you do it. Now, the world is going to give us every message contrary to this on earth. And you know what I've figured out? That I say something new hits me every time. You know what I figured out from this? Is that we've got to be careful not to interpret this passage through the curse. That's why it's been reduced to who's in charge. Because we're reading it through the curse. The curse said he will rule over you. The blessing says he will love you. There's a whole, that's a different world. And so husbands, wives, both of you, I challenge you to get with God this week and ask him 
to show you where your heart is in this process. Just ask him to show you where you can, where you can grow. It, this is not in guilt. This is not, you know, if, if you are failing, the great thing about marriage is it's for life. You get to start again. Just, just start over. You look at it and say, oh, man, I've been slacking. Okay, stop slacking. It's okay. But this is God's way, and it is what works. And he promises that when we follow his ways, he's there. And he will carry us through. That is what a higher family is. Now, as a church family, we've also been called to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. At his, at the Passover meal before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus gathered with his disciples. And he took the bread and he said, this is my bread which shall be broken for you. This is my body. This is my body, which shall be broken for you. And he was finally fulfilling, after more than a millennium of Passover meals and, and this imagery, what the Passover actually meant, and that it was pointing forward to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. That if we would believe in him, we would have eternal life. The salvation would be by faith at the cost of the life of the Son of God. And the night before, Jesus announced that it would be his body that would be the Passover lamb. It would be his blood that would be the blood on the door that, that would save us from death. And so he took the bread and he said, this is my body which shall be broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant which shall be given for and then he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so together we take of the bread. And together we drink of the cup. Father God, we thank you so much for this day and this time. God, we thank you for the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. We confess him as our Lord and Savior. We confess him as Lord of all. Jesus Christ is Lord. And Father, we pray now for this message we have heard in Scripture. God, help us all to... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ the way you want us to. God, we would forgive where forgiveness is needed. We would show grace where grace is needed. But God, that we would reach higher for the things of God. God, that our marriages could reflect your grace, your goodness, your holiness, and your original intent. God, lead us in your path that our families would be blessed and that they would be lights in this world reflective of the gospel reflective of your love reflective of your greatness because God our marriages are bigger than just the two people involved in it they reflect your kingdom and God I pray that it reflects your purposes and that we do it well 
God, it's in Christ's name we pray this together today.